Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And today I'm talking with my friend Robin, who's a holistic health coach who specializes in women's fertility. And Robin and I share something that I kind of wish we didn't share, and that's our long journey with infertility all the way to IVF. And I can tell you that that is such a difficult journey. But happily, we both got our beautiful daughters from IVF and we became friends. In this episode, Robin and I will be talking about our struggles with fertility and what diet and especially sugar has to do with fertility and infertility. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. And this week's episode is brought to you by the Life After Sugar program, which is where you'll get the step-by-step guidance you need from me to help you let go of sugar and the emotional hold it has on you so that you can get to a place of freedom where you don't even need, want or miss it anymore. If you're ready to start living your life after sugar and feel more confident, healthier and full of energy without feeling deprived, without needing willpower, then the Life After Sugar program will help you get there in just 12 weeks. Letting go of sugar and finding true freedom from sugar is much easier when you have a proven structure to follow. With my experience of seven years of living happily sugar-free and with almost 30 years' experience as a teacher, I've created a structure for the Life After Sugar program that will allow you to get to a place where you don't want, need or miss sugar anymore. And in the Life After Sugar program, you'll get the help, the guidance and the support to experience real, deep and lasting freedom from sugar and you don't have to do it alone. Check out everything that's included in the Life After Sugar program at aftersugarclub.com and in the top menu, click on the program tab. That's aftersugarclub.com and click on program. All right, so here's my chat with Robin. All right, today I'm talking with Robin Boyce, who's based in Toronto, I think. Is that right? Just north, just north of Toronto. All right. And Robin, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like when you were still consuming lots of sugar or how you grew up with basically a sugarful diet? Oh, well, for sure. Um, I mean, I was born in the 80s. So I was born in 81. And that was the, you know, the big convenience food revolution. And I'm convinced that that, you know, to no one's fault, my parents, not their fault, but that was like all these new things came into 
uh, the forefront of being convenience. And of course, when you have convenience foods, it's usually loaded with sugar, whether it's, you know, whether it's a savory meal or not, there's, you know, that's the misconception that people think, well, I'm eating like, I'm eating a hot dog. <laughs> How is there sugar in a hot dog? But, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a sweet food or a savory food. It, there, it can be packed with, with sugar. And yeah. I, I, I really feel like, you know, that was sort of one of the downsides of the eighties. <laughs> and so did you have those convenience foods because both your parents worked full time? Yes, for sure. I, for sure. I think that it, it gave a sense of like, it was, it was helpful for, for parents in the eighties. Cause that's when, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, families were having, you know, to go to, to double income. It was helpful. And I, I'm sure there was maybe some relief like, Oh good. I'm going to go buy this, you know, microwave, whatever it is so that, you know, my kids can eat well, you know, because I'm not home or I don't have time. We just didn't, they just didn't know back then. Like it, they just didn't know back then, but yeah. Um, that's probably what it was. And, and, and like I said, maybe the excitement of it too, like, oh, wow. Like I can buy this home cooked meal that goes in a microwave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can, you know, look like I'm serving home cooked meals, but you know, mm-hmm. zap them in the microwave, which I, honestly, I grew up like that as well. Cause my mom worked full time and I say parents, but let's face it, it's the mom. Of course. <laughs> I agree. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and she, she wanted to feed as well. It's all with the best of intentions. It's just that, you know, she just got home at 7 PM and, you know, after everything else, there was just no time to start whipping up home cooked meals. Absolutely. And it wasn't as accessible as it is now. And they didn't know about the ingredients in these convenience meals. You mean? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't even think I don't even think packages had ingredients lists or, you know, nutritional information. I think that came in later as a, as a law, but I don't, yeah, I don't even think that that was an issue. Like you just kind of almost trusted, you know, marketing. (laughs) The food industry. Yeah. Yeah. Very kind, helpful hand. (laughs) And then kicking you up the bum afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) And so this is how you grew up, just basically, I would say normally, or I don't like to use the word normally, actually, it was a common way for most people to eat in North America and and in Western Europe as well. That's where I was in England. Right. Yeah. So we share that. So you grew up that way. And then so what? (laughs) (laughs) What did that do to your not just your health, but what did that do to your relationship with food and, you know, these ingredients can't mention the word sugar, surely specifically. Well, I actually was uh, overweight as a child or I guess overweight. I mean, yeah, I wasn't a thin child, so I definitely know now, um, that was probably a big factor of just, you know, and, and, and like I say, it's just, we just, the information wasn't there. So it was just kind of like, eat whatever you want. Like, you know, we knew the basics weren't healthy, 
but you know, sugar, I guess, in my opinion, sugar was seen as like, yeah, it's not healthy, but okay. The information of all the other things that it causes now wasn't there, wasn't available. So it was like, yeah, well, we can indulge a little bit here because all it's going to do is, you know, it's just unhealthy. Maybe it would attribute to your weight, but you know, that's it. And so I think that it was just easier it was easy to just justify, you know, eating a poor diet because people just thought it contributed to your weight, I feel like. And if you weren't, and if you weren't struggling with weight, you were okay. Like yeah. eat it. you don't have a weight issue. No one, no one back then understood, or I shouldn't, I mean, that, that's kind of a blanket statement, but you know, general society didn't understand the implications of you know, a poor diet other than your weight. And so, yeah, like I was overweight as a child. Um, and it, I mean, it, what it came down to food. I mean, I was active, I played sports, but it, it came down to food. I was probably not eating the greatest. Mm. And did you, when you were older, did you continue that pattern when you were actually responsible for buying your own groceries? No, I had, that's when I had sort of started to, I got excited when I got to buy, when I got to buy my own groceries. And I remember being in high school and, and I had already, by this time I had like, I wasn't, you know, that chubby little girl anymore. Like I had already, I had thinned out. I was very active. I was an athlete in high school. I played a lot of sports. So that really helped. But, um, what, what happened was in, in high school, my mom, so my, we had, I have two sisters. So my mom implemented again, a working mom implemented this thing in our house where we each had to take a turn cooking. And my mom, my mom said, I don't care what it is. Like you could literally open a can of beans and cook them, but I just don't want to do it. You need to do it. And so my sisters kind of did that, like whatever, like they would just cook whatever, that was simple, but my mom knew something was different about me because I would, that's when my love of cooking came in and, you know, ingredients and healthy, like healthy, good ingredients, because I would whip up these like big meals mm. and, and serve them to my family. And, you know, and my mom's like, you don't have to do this. You know, I'm like, I want to, I, that's when my love of cooking came in. And I realized that there were so many just different ingredients and you know, different things that can flavor food um, other than what we had been doing, right. you know? Yeah. What a discovery. Mm -hmm. right. So then like, so then to answer your question, so then when I got out on my own and I lived on my own, oh, that was just like, I got, so I got to just buy every, like all my own groceries. And that's when I just started spending a lot of time in the grocery store. Well, I should, I worked in a grocery store through high school. Cool. So I had act, I had a lot of time to peruse ingredients and, you know, there's a lot more than it. You can get very tunnel vision in the grocery store. You can get very, yeah. Like, so I had, a. I worked in a grocery store and 
I took my time like because I discovered that love. So when I did my own shopping, I took my time and, you know, I would, I would see other customers. Like when I was a cash, I was a cashier. So I'd see cash customers buying different things like that. I didn't, you know, I would actually stop and be like, Oh, what's this? Like, what do you, how do you cook this? What do you do with it? Like I always asked people like if it was something I didn't know. So yeah, I get asked that by cashiers all the time. What's this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's to make my kimchi. And they're like, what's that? And then it's like, the people behind me are like, can you please yeah. go forward, pay already? No one cares. <laughs> and I'm telling them what the ingredients are and I'm spelling them out like an English teacher would. And, you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> How annoying. But, well, and that's the thing with me is I, I, I didn't just, like I would do that same thing, but I didn't just ignore it after I didn't lose it after I remembered that and I would go and buy it and then see what I could do with it. And of course, now with the internet, there's nothing off limits. Like you can literally buy the most obscure thing and find a million recipes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So your love of cooking, your love of like appreciating the ingredients were the ingredients pretty much all whole foods. Yeah, but that's when it started, you know, that's when I started understand, like I, but I really like started to feel like I'm now responsible for my health. I want to make the best choices. You know, I just, it's, it was, it was a long journey to get to where I am now, but it was like a big snowball effect. Like it just was like more and more and more you know, that I just really had that responsibility to myself that it was up to me to look into it. Like no one, I'm not going to listen to other people. I want to know for myself how I should cook and how I should eat. I was an athlete. So I also wanted to make sure I was performing at my best. And yeah, you had that motivation from yourself and to look after yourself, which you know, I think is relatively rare from what I can tell of people of your age at the time, you know, mm-hmm. in your early mm-hmm. 20s, you know, often we're not really worried about our health or well-being now because we're like invincible when we're mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. We don't think about the effects yeah. of what we do now that's going to be on our later life. Mm-hmm. So, so you got this interest in real whole foods and cooking and making good meals and then something happened later in your life that we share that we have in common. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, I struggled to have a baby. My husband and I were ready. And, um, you know, when you, when you're younger, you just think that it's as simple as like, when I'm ready, I'm going to have sex and I'm going to get pregnant. Well, that's not always the case, especially now. Yeah. Um, that's, absolutely not the case anymore you know yeah so we tried for a long time you know a year like they consider it a year like that if you've been trying and not had any kind of success I mean I didn't have any I didn't even have you know a failed pregnancy like I just never got pregnant like month after month my period came and I we were having sex and I couldn't understand I couldn't I just couldn't understand that yeah. How old you know, were you at this time? I was 30 when we started the first time. I remember it was after my 30th birthday. I was ready. Um, 
Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy to me because I spent all this time as a, as a, you know, young adult, you know, late teenager, young adult, you know, protecting against getting pregnant, you know? Yes, I know. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, did I even need to bother? Like, (laughs) did I even need to take that birth control pill? Um, so yeah, we, we, we weren't getting pregnant. And then, you know, after even, so at that time, after the year, I did seek a fertility doctor just to like get some advice at the time, because I wasn't in a, a career role of health and wellness. Um, I was a dental assistant actually. Okay. Which is still in healthcare. I get in a way, but um, yeah, so I wasn't really focused, like my day to day wasn't focused on you know, health and wellness, like it is now. So I sought out a fertility doctor because that's just society. Like, that's just what, you know, you're pushed to do, you know, my regular doctor was like, okay, well, here's a referral ghost. Like this, this is your, your only option. Yeah. It's like checking off a box. Like they did for me. Okay. You Mm -hmm. checked off this box trying for a year. Here's Mm -hmm. the next step. Mm -hmm. Check that off. Fertility doctor. Well, and that's the thing. Cause I hadn't, no, I didn't have any red flags. I didn't have, I, you know, my periods were normal. Um, I didn't have, you know, I didn't indicate, well, there wasn't a lot of, there was no testing done, but they just assumed that because my periods were normal, that I didn't have, you know, certain like things that can contribute to infertility that they know of, you know? the, the physical things like PCOS or, um, you know, just those things, right? Like all those things, it was just kind of like exactly what you said. Oh, you've been trying for a year and you haven't here, go, go see this person. There was no, there was no further investigation. It didn't matter. Like, okay. We feel as patients, I felt as a patient that it didn't matter. I'm not saying that it didn't for the doctor, but you know, I think my doctor was a general practitioner, family doctor. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his thing, mm-hmm. you know, infertility and, and all the around women's reproductive health. That wasn't his speciality. So he couldn't have done much, even if it, if it was important to him. Right. Well, but now we know, like, that's, that's sort of my beef with it all. Although, I mean, I wouldn't have the career I do if, you know, they were a little more diligent, (laughs) but I wasn't ever asked, you know, how, how, what are you eating and what is your exercise routine like? And, you know, it just, there was no, it, it, and it is what you said, like, that's just not their thing, but their doctors are trained to fix, you know, an illness or, or an ailment of some sort. Well, when, when, there isn't anything physically happening. They don't know, like they didn't, he didn't know what to do. He's like, here, go see this person. Like, I don't, you're, there's nothing for you to fix it, yeah. you know, at, in his mind. So yeah. So I, so I went to see the fertility doctor just to see, I had, I was, I, I, it is looking back now. It was just like a big daze. Like I didn't know anything back then. I, I look back and I feel like, wow, I was just like this, little child, you know, not knowing what to do. And, you know, so, you know, I went to see him and, uh, originally and, 
you know, he wanted to run some tests on myself and my husband. And um, it was all a whirlwind. Like there was a, it was very overwhelming because I actually couldn't believe that that was, I was even doing that. Like my mom never struggled having children. My sister had three kids, you know, um, did, did I, you I was feel, just shocked. You were shocked. Yeah. I remember that feeling. Well, did you feel that you were in some way broken, malfunctioning? <laughs> well, absolutely. I also had a, I, I went, I had a big mental piece to that too, where I felt like I was being punished. Like, did I do something earlier in life? Like, was I not good enough? Like, did I make that mistake? And now I'm being like, you don't deserve to raise a child or, Ugh. you know, I went through that, Yeah, you know, big yeah. time. Yeah. I think more than the broken, which is a huge piece. Like you do feel like, why can I not do the one thing I was you know, put on the earth through. And I don't mean that like women are meant to have babies. I just meant like women, like fundamentally, like our physiology, we are meant to have babies. So why, you know, if I can't do it, no one else, like who, you know, no one else can do it. So, um, but the broken piece, because there was nothing indicating that I had an actual fertility issue. Like there were no signs. I, like I said, I didn't have PCOS. I had regular periods in their eyes, you know, now I know differently that there's a lot more to it, but, um, it was more for me. Like I felt like I was being punished by, you know, something I might've done in uh, previously that was like, you know, you don't deserve a child. Yeah. We, we really, we get into this tailspin of beating ourselves up. Mm -hmm. you know and I know we we've talked about this before where it, that is not is it it's not just the physical side of infertility that's difficult it's what we do to ourselves mm -hmm. in our heads yeah. oh it's a spiral like you can you can quickly get on that roller coaster and it's hard to get off and you know I would say for you know we were talking about weight before I never really had to deal with the weight issue but this infertility issue for me and I don't want to bring this just on to myself but I know we share this this infertility issue that we lived with or I lived with for four years um made me it it just made me as down on myself as I see a lot of other people are mm -hmm. for their weight and for me, it was because of my infertility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you went to get all these tests done for you and for your husband, what came of that? Well, at that time, when I, I came home and, you know, I was at, in my, I was 30 or I get this case, I guess I was 31 now. And we didn't, we didn't move forward with it. We didn't end up doing the tests. Okay. Um. I don't know. It caused a lot, you know, of course, you know, going through infertility, it can cause some discord in your relationship. Yeah. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so we needed to, we stopped sort of trying at that time and just decided that we needed to just give ourselves a break. We needed to get back to ourselves, him and I, and we just weren't, I don't, we weren't prepared for that. We weren't prepared to have that diagnosis. Like you have to 
go see a fertility doctor. Like we just weren't prepared mentally, like emotionally, like we didn't really know what it entailed and it was very overwhelming and it caused, you know, a lot of issues and there's a lot of blame, you know, it, it just, it's a bad situation for some couples. Like, so we stopped trying and we didn't go, we didn't move forward with the fertility. And then, um, I guess like a, a long time later, like five years later is when we started trying again. I just wanted to take a quick break to encourage you to share this podcast with anyone who might be open to starting their life after sugar. And could I please ask you to scroll down and give this podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a review to tell me how this podcast is inspiring you in your life after sugar. For example, here's a review by Carrie who said, not only is Netta a joy to listen to, thank you, Carrie, the content of this podcast is very interesting, incredibly informative and extremely helpful. I have learned so much and can't wait to hear more episodes. I've been following a sugar-free, gluten-free and soy-free diet for over a month and feel fabulous. I plan to continue for the rest of my life because I just feel so good. I have so much energy, have lost the last five pounds, look younger and feel all around fantastic. Can't even imagine going back to my old way of eating. Thank you, Carrie. And bravo to you. It's wonderful reading how much better you feel in your life after sugar. And this, and it was just the same pattern. We, um, and then we went back to the fertility doctor and then we, we move forward with that. Okay. And in between the two times, did you sort of look into it or did you just put it completely aside or by look into it? I mean, did you look at any so-called alternative ways that you could stack the the cards in your favor to get? No, I think that I just wanted to ignore it and, and just, you know, I, I would tell myself like, oh, well, you know, fate, it's just not, it's just not our time. So we'll just try another time. Like I just completely ignored it and just assumed that when it's my time, it will happen. So no, I didn't, I didn't look into anything. You know, I, I also was, we were dealing with other things, right? Like I wanted to make sure that we were really working on our relationship and, you know, that was more important at the time because we <clears throat> had suffered, you know, a little bit of a breakdown, like a, you know, a breakdown in our relationship as a result of the fertility issue. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Get um, that. I was so, more focused on that at the time. Yeah. Very wise as future parents, you know, <laughs> very wise indeed. So the second time around you did in the end, you did get the fertility tests done. Mm-hmm. And what came of that? Oh, well, um, it's very easy to be told that it's easier to go IVF and sort of have the wool pulled over your eyes and not know. And then once you enter into that system, it's like, it's not easier at all. And so, yeah, there are a lot of tests done on both of us. It's, it's just such a, 
icky time. Like it's just so invasive and like, you certainly can't be shy. Like you can't be modest or shy. Like (laughs) no more taboos when you're in the IVF world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you literally conceive a baby without your husband even being in the room, basically. Yeah, actually, you're not even there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was three hours away from the clinic when my kid was conceived. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it turns out um, my husband had some sperm issues, according to the to the test. And um, I again, I didn't necessarily have any major red flags. I didn't have PCOS. I know I keep referring to PCOS, but that's like a ma- one of the major like physical yeah, things is, that you can have, which is I, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Oh, yes. Sorry. I should have no said worries. that. Um, I, you know, I did not have endometriosis, which is another common, you know, I didn't have fibroids. Like I, I just didn't have anything physical, but that's when I kind of attribute like for me with clients, you know, when there's no, you know, when they, they call it unexplained infertility. (laughs) Yeah. And they say that the unexplained infertility makes up for about 30% of all types of infertility, which is, or even more. And that was one of the most frustrating things. It's like, you know, thanks for the statistic that makes me feel better. Well, it's like they gave a name to something that, (laughs) They gave a name to something to make it seem like it's a thing. Yeah. It's not a yeah. thing. Like I actually, when a client comes to me and they don't have an actual diagnosis of some sort of, you know, infertility caught, like I get excited because I know that that is lifestyle. Mm. I, I, I think unexplained infertility is like bonus. Like we don't have to deal with anything now. Now we can just clean up your lifestyle. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, like, you know, people have terrible lifestyles. I just mean like, there are a lot of contributing factors that we don't know, like in just in society that we don't realize contribute to, to that. So, you know, I, I didn't know that then though. (laughs) Nor did I. I. And if you'd have told me, you know, what are you, if you'd have asked me, what are you eating? You know, I would have been on the defensive to say, Hey, Mm -hmm. I'm already dealing with unexplained infertility. Don't you try and blame me and my diet Mm -hmm. and my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You get, you get people sort of being as on the defensive as I would have been. Yeah. When they're not ready, you know, usually at the early, at this early stages, when they're still really listening, like still really like putting all their eggs in the doctor's basket. Yeah. Again, I don't mean that rudely. I just, that's a good, a good choice. Of expression. <laughs> but then eventually, because what the doctors are doing aren't working either. So, you know, when you get to your last straw and you're just like, I'll try anything That's sort of when I, when my clients come to me, yeah, because then they're oh. willing to hear those things because they are just willing to try like a last ditch effort. You know? Right, right. Totally, totally. Yes. Which is when people come to see me for sugar, to get mm-hmm. sugar as well. I bet. Yeah. yeah, I've tried it all or most things. And now I'm ready to try the one thing that I was, you know, against trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because we are ready at that time. Mm-hmm. So can we just get back to your story? Because everyone Sorry. wants to know. Did you have a baby? I did. So 
Um, it's very exciting. I'm very grateful. I'm extremely grateful that, you know, we have my daughter and I am grateful that there was something that I could turn to because in my case it was successful. So I'm in one way, I'm very thankful for IVF and the doctors and the research and doing that. So yes, but yeah, I, I now know that there are other better, like there are other ways. Yeah. And I wish I would have done that if I had have known. Right. I mean, you go down this path for IVF where I don't know about you, but we tried a whole load of other things in between sort of just trying, so you know, naturally and IVF, we did, we did all sorts of other medical procedures mm-hmm. and none of which worked. Mm-hmm. And so it was, for me, IVF was a last ditch effort. It, and mm-hmm. apart from that, I could not see any other option. If that hadn't worked, which it did first time for us, luckily, Um, if that Mm -hmm. hadn't worked I I just couldn't see any other possibility yeah and what what I understand you're giving people is another possibility well absolutely and I do let me just say about the IVF working now that when I first entered into the whole IVF world at the time because I didn't know anything about IVF like I didn't even know anyone at the time personally that had to do that So I just assumed that because it was sort of like a man-made procedure, I assumed it was like a no, like a, like a hundred percent, like we, we do it for you. So you don't have to, and here you go. Here's your baby. I assumed it was going to happen no matter what. So when I went into that first meeting and he was going over just like, so nonchalantly, like in passing the percentage of it working, you know, the IVF working. And I'm like, what do you mean working? doesn't it just work? And he's like, Oh no, like, you know, it's on, it's less than, it's like 30, uh, you might have to fact check that, but I, it's like 30% of all procedures. And now I know being in that, in that world that like, you know, I, I've met people that have gone through 13 rounds of IVF Oh my God. And it's not working. And so it worked for me on the very first try. And at the time, that's when I started pivoting my business. Like I did, you know, within that five years, when I was saying we stopped trying, that's when I had um, launched my, you know, health and holistic health coach business. And I was just sort of coaching people, you know, on general health. That's when I started. And to think about these, like to dive it. Cause I was wondering why, you know, I'm healthy. Why did this happen to me? And I started, that's when I started to pinpoint some of these, you know, lifestyle issues. And I 100% attribute that to my first try success with IVF when so many other women don't get that. So I just needed to throw that in that, like it, it makes a difference. Because what, what I understand is you had already changed your diet and lifestyle as you were doing or before yeah. you did that first round of IVF that was successful yes. for you. And yeah. by the way, just as an aside, our daughters were born on the same date. Yeah. Same year. Not the same year, but the same day. Yes. <laughs> Second of March. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So what did you change about your diet and lifestyle? And, you know, this is the Life After Sugar podcast. What does mm-hmm. any of this have to do with sugar? I wonder. Oh, gosh. Well, 
as you know, as, as you know, sugar is just probably the worst food on the planet. <laughs> and I'm talking about the white, that, you know, sort of like the man-made white refined sugar, obviously. I'm not talking about, you know, sugar in fruit or, you know, that kind of thing, but I'm talking about, you know, white sugar, um, probably the worst thing on the planet. It can cause so many things, like so many things that we deal with that are not ideal, you know, with our health and our, our mentality and you know, our, our emotional state. If you have a diet high in sugar, you can guarantee that that's going to be one of the causing factors of, you know, things you might be dealing with. And so I wasn't, I, it was easy for me to cut out sugar. Cause I'm not, I, I always, I joke, cause I'm, you know, there's kind of two types of people. There's like sugar people and salty people. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm a salty person, you know, I like salt more. So it, it wasn't too bad, but I knew that was something I had to pay attention to because like I told, like we talked about earlier, there's, there is, it's, you don't just get sugar in things because they're sweet. Right. You know, you, you buy a lot like canned goods and things like that. There's like tons. If you look at the labels, there's tons of sugar in things that you might not know, or you might not think to look just because it's not like a baked good or a sweet product. So I had to, you know, be a little more conscious with that. Um, but dairy. And so the interesting thing with that in regards to what you do is I'm sure, you know, but there's a ton, like there's so much sugar in dairy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's natural sugar, the the lactose, do you mean the lactose or do you mean, do you mean the added sugars in well, both, both, but, but lactose. And that's the thing people don't understand is that it's like naturally in there, but it's not a natural sugar. We should be consuming or or maybe not in the quantities that we or the yeah 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 Yeah. there's 12 grams of lactose in a cup of milk you know and you know and it's it's not necessarily a bad sugar in the same way as the white sugar is but we do tend to in North America especially consume a lot a lot of unfermented dairy in this usually yeah yeah and I yes like just to add on to your, like, I know you're, you probably don't want to give it like a, you know, don't want to villainize it, give it a bad name, but the, the, um, the lactose sugar, like you said, maybe not as bad as like white sugar that's added, but it's, but it's bad for fertility. Okay. So if we're specifically talking about for fertility, that is something we want to stay away from. And all these things like sugar, um, sugar just wreaks havoc on your hormones. And that's what our, our bodies are governed by our hormones. Like every system in our body functions because we have hormones to, to do it. And that's what sugar is doing. It directly, it's directly related to hormone imbalances. Mm. And that's the issue. That's so the there's, issue. there's the added sugars, the refined sugars, the um, sort of na- so-called natural sugars like um, the the lactose in dairy. Mm-hmm. That's what you cut out completely, or just cut out. <clears throat> well, that de- <sighs> I mean, in a perfect world, cut out completely. I'm I I'm not on the dairy train. Like I, that's one of my things. 
but I work with my clients. I mean, you can't go from zero to 60 and expect to have a positive result. So yeah, or from I 60 just, to zero <laughs> or 60 to zero. Exactly. So I just work with, it depends how aggressive they want to be, you know, what they can manage because also stress is a big contributing factor to infertility. So we have to look at all those things. It just, it, there's a scale. Yes. Yes. There's and I have to say, I remember one of the most stressful things that added to the already stressful situation of infertility was other people telling me to stop being stressed. Oh. <laughs> I was like, shut up. Isn't that the most annoying thing? Like oh, more than okay. annoying. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was, oh, it was one of the worst things is other people. When are you going to have a baby? Oh, well, it's probably you just should relax. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, just please, please don't. Good. I'm glad that you told me that. Now I will. Like, yes, yes. That's that's not how it works. Yeah, I I, I was just waiting for that wonderful piece of advice. (laughs) Exactly. It's yeah. And the next day I'm pregnant. Not, Mm, not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that. And so, um, was there anything else, or is there anything else that you now tell your, not tell, but that you advise your clients to do in relation to sugar and their fertility? Well, basically it, I mean, in relation to sugar, it is to cut out the sugar. Like we need to see in what areas it's a whole workup because I need to see in what areas, like what you, if we're talking about sugar and food, what, what you're eating, because like we've, talked about it doesn't just mean you know that baked good that you're eating that's the only place you're getting sugar like there's so many other ways and and you don't it's not anyone's fault but you just don't sometimes know where sugar can come into your life so that's basically what we'll take a look at when it when it when we when we look at the nutrition part of your lifestyle and your your food and what kinds of issues you have you know you know I referred to PCOS earlier in this And that's one of the main causes of, you know, fertility issues. Well, one, there's four types of PCOS and the the main, the common one is insulin resistance PCOS. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a whole puzzle. Like that's the piece. Like, so then you can take care of that. You know, one of the things, obviously one of the things that contributes to that is too much sugar. So yeah, we have to look at, at the whole, at the whole picture, but definitely it's something that, um, it has to be cut out. And now someone asked me once, um, I was shocked, but I have to remember that some people just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you know, some people just don't know a lot about nutrition. And so someone asked me, we were talking about sugar and I was like, you just, you have to cut it out. Like you have to start at least start. And she said, well, and we were talking about salt and sugar and everything and, you know, the recommend daily value and da, da, da. And and then she was like, well, what, how much sugar can you have? And I like, I kind of looked at her like, well, none, like there is no recommended daily value of sugar. Like, again, I'm not talking about fruit, but, um, you know, if there is no there is no recommended daily value of sugar. Your body doesn't need that kind of sugar. 
you know, your body doesn't need white refined sugar. It doesn't need it at all. So there is no recommended daily value. So we need to cut it out. You have to stop eating sugar. And there's so, and again, that like, as, as you know, like that doesn't mean a life of not eating something sweet. Yeah. Or a life of being completely sad and joyless or depressed or um, deprived. Yeah. Like you, it's not about being deprived. It's like, what can we add in place? That's just as sweet. That's going to add food. I always say like food is either contributing to your illness or it's, you know, it's either causing or contributing to your illness or it's going to help it. Yeah. No, no part of sugar is helping that. Yeah. It's not, it's that's right. And it's confusing for consumers um, and, you know, just generally for us because the world health organization is out there telling us to keep free sugars as they call it you know down to below so many teaspoons i think it's six teaspoons a day for women and so it kind of gives the impression that you're okay to consume up to mm-hmm. six teaspoons a day mm-hmm. and then you know and then even the food labels in canada where we are you know, the total carbs is 300 grams a day, and they don't even distinguish between the carbs. So it that also makes the consumer yeah. think if, if we're so inclined, it makes the consumer think, well, I'm all right, up to 300 grams a day. Yeah, oh, it's absurd. And, and exactly, it's like smoke and mirrors, because that, and that kind of where that, where that, I was talking about that previous client about the recommended daily value of sugar. And that's where, that's where people think that there is an allowance. Yeah. Like you yeah. should have this amount to function. Right. No, like you're, yes, our body runs on sugar, but not that, not that kind of sugar. <laughs> it doesn't run on, yes, it runs on glucose, glucose. and then that's the whole other podcast episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I just want to make it clear that that's, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about fruit. You know, I, I don't not eat fruit is what I don't want people to get that impression. That's what I worry about. You know, I have so many people in a day telling me like, Oh, like you shouldn't eat a banana. There's so much sugar in a banana. And I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's a, a whole topic. separate topic, a whole separate topic. Um, so tell us who you help and how people can get in touch with you. Well, I help, like I said, um, I usually get the women and couples. I don't, I don't usually have men come to me on their own, but I help men, you know, as part of the couple, cause they're usually more willing when they're so women and couples, um, usually they come to me at that point. Like I was saying earlier, where like the last ditch effort, like I'm willing to try everything. Like, you know, this wasn't important to me before, but now I'm willing to try everything. So the, that's sort of where I get a lot of clients. I like that because they are willing to look at things in an objective way. Um, but I, I, you know, I appeal to anyone that's just been trying and coming up short, you know, whether that's a few months or that's two years, if you just, if you want to conceive in the, in the, the way we were intended to conceive, you know, with your husband, um, naturally, then I can help you 100%. And, um, I, I mean, I help other people. Like I said, if, if you've, if you already entered into the IVF world, you know, I get some clients where like, I can help that be successful. So they've already done that, but we can, you know, help that be successful. But the majority of my clients are, haven't gone there yet. Okay. I, I like to catch them before they go there because I don't advocate 
IVF. Gotcha. Okay. And how can they get in touch with you? Well, I am, of course, on social media, Facebook, um, Instagram. My business name is Pride Holistic Health on both. And of course, from there, I have links to, um, you know, email or my website, my web, I don't really have an actual website. It's more of just like a informational, like booking site, but yeah, there's links to that, but yeah, pride holistic health. Okay. I'll put the links with the show notes. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm always available, like reach out. And anyway, I always say, you know, if you have any questions, even if you don't know what the question is yet, just get on a call with me and we can go from there and there's no obligation. Like it's scary at, at that time. So there's no obligation. Any questions are welcome and conversation is welcome. Yes. Yes. Cause it is a very vulnerable time. Very. Yeah. I totally get that. And mm-hmm. it's great that we have all this in common. I wish we didn't in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the silver lining is that, mm-hmm. you know, we met each other through these things that we have in common through our infertility journey and now we're friends which is yes (laughs) and thank you so much for talking with me today Robin no problem thank you for having me it's been great you're welcome oh what a wonderful chat with Robin and isn't it amazing all these things that we have in common not just our infertility journey not just IVF but the fact that our daughters even though they're several years apart were born on the same date And I wish Ida had someone like Robin around when I was on my infertility journey and feeling like a failure, feeling so vulnerable, like I couldn't even do the basic, natural, human function of a woman of getting pregnant. And for us, it was a four-year journey of unexplained infertility, lots and lots of medical procedures, lots and lots of failures. It was awful. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And if I'd have known then what I know now about sugar, well, I think I would have tried a dietary change in addition to the medical procedures that we tried. But, you know, you can't turn back time. And as I was saying to Robin, the silver lining is that we had our lovely daughter Lily, who was born in 2008 and who's 14 now at the time of recording, And now she has the advantage of living with a sugar-free, joyful mom who has a podcast all about life after sugar. So if you want to get in touch with Robin, I'm putting her details in the show notes. And if you want some free resources about what real whole foods are and where the processed food companies hide those sneaky sugars, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab what to eat. You'll find three videos there, one about which foods don't have added sugars, another about how to find these foods at the grocery store and the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods because these are also whole foods that look after your gut health and gut health is central to your general health. And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. 
So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources and tips on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. That's where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, sometimes some inspiring quotes or sometimes just pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's totally possible to live a fun and active life even if you don't eat sugar. And if you're ready to get some personal guidance, support and accountability so that you can let go of sugar and feel more confident in your food choices and feel healthier because you've finally made peace with sugar so that you get to a point where you don't need it or miss it anymore. Then I have two different offerings for you. The first is the Life After Sugar program where you get 12 weeks of personalized, customized support and guidance from me with frequent accountability calls according to your availability and time zone so that we can keep in touch as often as you need to make sure that you let go of sugar step by step and discover real freedom from sugar. That's the Life After Sugar program at aftersugarclub.com and in the top menu, click on the Program tab. And if you need more of a self-study format with less frequent check-ins with me, then the After Sugar Club may be a better fit for you. Go check it out at aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, join the club. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.